We all know that the left is no longer liberal, but the past few weeks have shown like never before the distressing results of our trend towards polarization. The mainstream media has doubled down on their petty, hyper-partisan mudslinging in the face of a true crisis. It's more important than ever to be informed, engaged, responsible citizens who want to follow the facts and ignore the nonsense and the noise. That's what Don't Burn This Book is all about. While we faced a lot of pressure to delay the publication of this book because of quarantine, I felt it was important to get these ideas out as soon as possible. I know that free thought, free speech, and patriotism are as important to you as they are to me, so I hope this book entertains and inspires you during the days and weeks ahead. Order now at don'tburnthisbook.com. All right. Hallelujah. The day has arrived. I feel like my entire life has been some sort of version of Groundhog Day for the past like eight months, telling people that this book is gonna come out, going, oh, April 28th, it's somewhere in the future. We started doing the pre-sale on this thing in July. Uh, I finished writing the book, literally gave my final manuscript to my editor, July 31st of 2019, then I did my August off the grid, edited it in the fall, really haven't touched it th since Thanksgiving. And then I did do the audiobook right at the beginning of quarantine. So I had to drive to Hollywood, which is sort of a dystopian future in and of itself. It's just like becoming such a craptastic little area of Los Angeles. Uh, and I did the audiobook, which I absolutely loved. And I'm thrilled to see that a ton of you, because shipping uh, some people were expecting it today, but you know, I don't know if you heard about this coronavirus thing. Uh, some people are getting the book actually tomorrow or the day after. Uh, so a ton of you are, are getting the audio book. I did do it. I love doing it. I absolutely love doing the voiceover, being in the booth, and I get to sort of act out some of the stuff and do some impressions and all that good stuff. But anyway, today is April 28th. Don't burn this book. It is here. It is real. It is a thing. As of this moment, I am a published author. I've given this thing everything I got. I think the message that I promote in this book of thinking for yourself, of individual rights, of states' rights, of standing up to the mob, of knowing what you think and why you think it, I think these are the things that actually matter. And obviously I wrote this thing well before coronavirus, but I think perhaps now more than ever, uh, <coughs> excuse me, perhaps now more than ever, um, don't worry, that wasn't corona related. I've just been doing a lot of talking for the last five days. Um, these are the ideas that matter, right? Like, I think we're all thinking about these things right now. States' rights are suddenly being talked about for the first time. Yeah, I've been babbling on about them for a couple of years on this show, and some conservatives and libertarian wonks talk about them, but suddenly everyone in the mainstream media is going, oh, do the states have to open up one at a time, and what does that mean, and can one state do one thing and one state do another? I think people are rethinking the Second Amendment and that you should be able to protect yourselves, or the Fourth Amendment, the right to assemble, which in effect is suspended right now. Uh, these are all ideas I put in the book uh, but more than anything else, for the ideas that I lay out here, and I talk about my feelings on, on abortion and taxes and foreign policy and pretty much everything you can think of, environmental policy, everything, it's not that I'm trying to convince you that I am absolutely right on all of these things or that I'm writing some kind of Bible here. What I'm trying to write here is, or what I've written here is guidelines to a flourishing, positive, decent society that will allow as many people to pursue their dreams uh, as they see fit. 
And I'm thrilled that so many of you, uh, I mean, we've sold a gajillion copies already, so I'm, I'm just thrilled that so many of you are, are digging what I'm doing. So, okay, so today we are doing a live signing. So I'm signing all these books. I got a gajillion books right here. David, at some point I'm gonna ask you to get the silver pen. I will sign one copy with the special silver pen and one person, it's like Willy Wonka, uh, one person will get the special silver copy. But I am signing copies of Don't Burn This Book and you can get one of these copies if you have not pre-ordered or maybe you did pre-order already but you wanna get a copy for somebody else. I'm signing a gajillion books today, a gajillion book plates, gajillion people, that's a lot. Uh, you can get your signed copy at premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben. The link is in the description. And if you do that, you can also submit a question for this live stream. And by the way, in, uh, in about 10 minutes, uh, you may have heard of this fellow before, uh, Glenn Beck is gonna join us. And, uh, and a little later, right after that, I believe, uh, then this, this small podcaster who I think is gonna make it, uh, this Ben Shapiro fella is gonna join us. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm gonna be answering your questions and I'm signing books for you guys, signing them live. I rested my hand last night, so you guys are gonna get the good signature. There will be plenty of those. I'm gonna sign a ton of books. Again, it's premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben. Uh, we're crushing it right now on, on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and everywhere else. And uh, yeah, I do feel like in many ways my life led up to today somehow. It's a, it's a weird thing, but here we are. All right, so I'm gonna start answering some questions. And as I said, we got Glenn Beck coming in a little bit. We got Ben Shapiro coming in a little bit. Maybe some other surprise guests. You never know what's gonna happen here at the Rubin Report. And uh, I will preface, preface this all by saying that every, every bit of success that I have and every bit of goodness is really directly related to you guys. You have been there for me. You have seen uh, the, the growth of this thing, the adventure that we've been on from being at different networks and quitting several jobs and letting go of salaries and health insurance and eventually being fully independent and building a home studio and starting locals.com so we could even get off the pipes of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Um, I've put all of the things that I talk about in this studio uh, into action in my real life. And that's a direct result of uh, the support that you guys give us. So I, I beyond thank you. There's not even, there's not even quite a word for it. And, uh, and I mentioned that by the way, in the acknowledgements of the book. All right, I'm going to sign one more right now. And then we're going to get to some questions. I'm giving you a big D and a good R uh, for these signings. I feel good about the loop today. You never know. Oh, okay. Whoops. <laughs> can you grab that for me? Uh, Clyde's going to get it. Clyde, can you get that pen for me? That's the special silver. You got it. Come on now. Uh, that's the special silver pen. One book. Only one. I signed six book plates. Oh, Clyde's really trying. Clyde, if you get me that pen, that will seriously go viral. Um, I signed six book plates yesterday with the special silver pen, much like Willy Wonka and the golden ticket. Watch, it's just gonna magically appear in my hand right now. There we go, okay. Uh, I have the silver pen. One book and one book only that I will sign here will have the special silver signature. And perhaps you will get an inner tour with the Oompa Loompas and the whole thing of the Ruben Report Studio. All right, premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben. Let's get right into the questions. William in North Bergen, Jersey. Can you wish my mom Liz a happy Mother's Day? I'm getting her a signed copy as a present. Liz, happy birthday. You got a great kid. Thank you for your support, Liz. I hope you enjoy the book. Hope you have a wonderful Mother's Day and thank you so much. 
Um, Colin in East Lansing, Michigan, what do you feel the proper response is to the widespread censorship happening across social media? Is censorship the new normal? Uh, so look, I unfortunately, I do think in many respects, censorship is the new normal. If we just accept that uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Google, all of the big boys, uh, that they're gonna do certain things. I'm not even saying it's not in their right to do those things. And we know about algorithmic manipulation. We know, for example, I mean, I can give you very basic examples. On this channel that you're watching this right now, the bigger the channel has gone, the fewer of my subscribers get notified of our videos, even though you've opted in and clicked the bell and the whole thing. Uh, we know that they manipulate search results. We know that shadow banning, which is when people can't see people they follow on Twitter, we know that that's actually part of the Twitter terms of service. I'm not making that up, Google it, Google it. Well, there you go. Um, we know that they, they hide certain posts on Facebook. If you are of a certain political persuasion, your posts get taken down. We know about the suspensions and all of these things. So is it the new normal? I would say if your answer is solely that big tech is your only way of accessing the internet and everything else, then yes, we, we are seriously screwed. And by the way, you know, if you thought we were screwed before, if you thought there was a problem with big tech before, and, and I, I should also say, I don't hate big tech in and of itself. These giant companies have, have endless cascading problems that I just don't think that they're equipped to deal with. I think this is actually kind of why David was able to beat Goliath, right? Like Goliath grew so big that it was actually, you could take him out with, with one little shot from a slingshot. And I think that's sort of what these companies are. They've grown so big that they have so many problems, so many competing interests. Then you inject social justice in it, so you're not even hiring your best engineers, and you have an ideology that's very much anti-freedom as, as a core piece of your ethos at your companies. You got a big problem. So I don't know that these things can be fixed. I don't want the government to fix them, by the way. I mean, and this, by the way, uh, is exactly where Tucker Carlson and I just have a fundamental disagreement. I will be on Tucker Carlson tonight, I think at about 8.20 Eastern, 5.20 Pacific, talking about don't burn this book. Um, he wants government regulation, I don't, because yes, the Trump administration may be more open uh, to you know free speech at the moment, but let's say you get a lefty government in there, are they gonna be for that? You know, and maybe the Trump government isn't even for it. I, the idea, put aside Trump or the Democrats or anything else, the idea that you would combine government and and big tech, you're just gonna make a big problem even bigger, right? Too big to fail. What did we do when we had banks that were too big to fail? We got the government involved and now they're even bigger and they're too bigger to fail. So I think we have a huge problem there. What I really believe the solution is, is that competition for as long as we're allowed to have competition in this great country of ours, Competition will be the thing that gets us through this. Uh, it's exactly why I started Locals.com, which by the way, we did our round of fundraising in the midst of coronavirus, which was the most insane time. So we had documents out for our investors as the markets were absolutely tanking. I'm thrilled and proud to say that our investors came through. Uh, we raised a nice chunk of change. I don't get a dime, by the way. I've put in money and I've put in a lot of time. We've built an incredible team. We've got team in Europe. We've got people in New York. We've got people in, uh, in California, really all over the place. Um, and we're building a great product. And we're, what we're building are digital homes for creators. And that's what we've built with rubenreport.com and the iOS app and the Android app. And you should check it out if you haven't been there. And if you're a creator and you wanna own your stuff, if you wanna have, we don't want your data, we don't own your data, all, all of the right things. We've done as many of them as possible. So I do think censorship is sort of the new normal. We're all trapped in our house right now. And if we thought there was a big problem, well, now we got a bigger problem because our only way to communicate is through these pipes. And I think we just gotta figure out how to, how to keep, keep being nimble enough 
so that big tech doesn't actually own us. All right. Uh, Nicholas in North Plains, Oregon asks, what are some ways we can make a real impact on local policies? Um, here's a really simple one that pretty much nobody does. Know who your local representative is. I know who my local representative is. I don't want to say his name because I don't need people showing up at my door. Um, but I know where his office is, about a mile away from my house. I've gone there before. Uh, you have much more chance of changing things uh, through your local representative than you do through your senator or, or certainly through the president. We seem to have this odd thing in America where the presidency has become such a cult of personality. Uh, and this isn't just Trump. I mean, it's well before Trump that it's like, oh, the president's supposed to fix everything. If the economy tanks, it's the president's fault. If this happens, it's the president's fault. The president did this. The, pre the president is just supposed to sign things into law and kind of guide us as a nation. The president isn't supposed to be doing anything. So especially for, for those of you that are liberty minded and, and you want to care about your local community. Let's I'll give you a, just a great example. The main street that crosses my street, so the main intersection over here, is a serious mess, like potholes, and it's just busted up old ass street. Well, the one the other way is brand new. They finally fixed it. So what did we do? We contacted somebody in the local, uh, local community government here, and we're trying to find out, are they gonna fix that street? Now, if you can't go to your local guy, who am I gonna go to? Am I gonna go to my senator to, to see if they can do it? You know, like. Really, the senator's got bigger problems. So I think keeping as much as local as possible, that really is the thing. And by the way, you know, I talk so much about states' rights in this book and the, and the founding documents that they wanted, the founders wanted us to have different laws and different policies, different policies, I should say, in each state, right? Because what's good for California isn't necessarily what's good for Texas or good for Idaho. Um, and right now people are talking about it because of coronavirus, right? Texas is gonna open up in a couple of days. It doesn't look like New York is gonna open up anytime soon. They have different problems and you just have to hope that you've elected some people that are, that are pretty in line with what your views are. Uh, I'm not doing a great job of that, by the way, here in California because my mayor is Eric Garcetti, a progressive, and my governor is Gavin Newsom, a progressive. So there you go. All right, I think we've got Glenn Beck. How are you? I am, I am just fine, my friend. I, I'm glad that you're the first person I'm bringing on for this thing because uh, I think our relationship is sort of like exactly why I wrote this book, that this, this thing that is not yeah. supposed to exist, it actually does exist. Yeah. People can't believe it, that we don't hate each I remember other. The I remember the first time meeting you uh, thinking this could go horribly, horribly awry. <laughs> Um, and I thought I trusted you, but I had thought I trusted people before and was always burned. But you were um, you were so honest. You reminded me. I don't mean this as a slam. You reminded me of me uh, when I was in my 30s. <laughs> I don't mean this as a slam. And That's I was just like, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I, when I didn't care what the answer was, I just really wanted the answer. I knew what I had been doing wasn't working wasn't working and it didn't make sense. And, you know, you get, everybody gets to a point and you're either afraid to explore it because you know it's gonna radically change everything in your life. And you are one of the few really brave people uh, that have, have gone through it and I admire you for it. Well, listen, I mean, bravery is sort of a funny thing because when you're doing it, I don't, you know, if you were brave, I don't know that you'd do it. You just sort of do it. And then you go, oh, I guess some people don't like me now. But yeah. But but here we are. But actually, but wasn't there a, a point in? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, I thought it I was going to say, isn't there? A, it, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to shut up. Go ahead. Satellite time. Love it. This is, yes, this is satellite time. It, it ain't like staring at somebody four feet in front of you. Um, I was going to say that I think something yeah. that could be interesting for us to talk about a little bit, um, because I'm going to do your show in a couple of days to talk about the book, but just talking about the writing process, because I just had you on to talk about your new book, which we're putting up this week. And yeah. you've written so many books. You've been through this process so many times. And it's funny for me today because I've wanted this thing out for so long and I've never given birth. And as far as I know, men can't give birth unless something happened this morning. But I feel kind of like I gave birth today. Like, like this thing is now out of me, which is sort of a, an interesting spot yeah. to be at. It's, it's really weird, especially if you, I mean, I've written so many um, books and so you're always in the process. And I just finished, this is my last book uh, that I just finished. And uh, you have written it and gone through it months before. And usually I'm on to the next thing and it's hard because you're like, okay, I got to put myself back in that mindset. Um, but uh, it is like giving birth. And it's especially something, I haven't read your book yet, um, Dave. I haven't gotten a copy of it. I did, so I feel bad because I didn't, I, I you know, I know generally. I sent, I sent you a very it, nice uh, inscription on that copy. You don't have. All right, we're going to get you a digital one in the meantime. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I would have read it. I would have read it beforehand because I'm really <laughs> looking forward to to seeing what you have to say and seeing the whole process. So tell me, yeah. can, if you will, just tell me some of the uh, some of the process that you went through. Well, it was interesting because I didn't know how I was going to deal with the discipline part because, you know, like I can interview people and I talk to the camera and I do stand up things that are kind of like you just kind of do them and you're in the moment and it's live and that's mm -hmm. it. And then you just let them go and they they stand for what they are or they, they're good or they're bad, whatever it is. For this, it was like writing is just like a whole other process. And I found every morning I'd, I'd get up. I'd take the dog out to pee, I'd have my coffee, I'd go into the green room, which is where our guests you know, come to get makeup and all that stuff, and I don't mm -hmm. really have an office here, unfortunately, because so much of my house is dedicated to the show, but I'd sit in there, I'd close the door, and I would just start, so usually about 7.30, 8 a.m., and my process was I could write and write and write and write until I could not think anymore, and usually that would be at about two or mm -hmm. three o'clock, and David, David would sometimes open the door and literally like I was in prison, solitary confinement, he'd slide a plate of food in. He wouldn't even say a word to me. There'd just be a sandwich or some eggs or something. And maybe I'd eat it and maybe I wouldn't. But if I was in the mode, I can just go. And then the second the mode breaks, like the second I would hit the wall, I, I never had like the five hours everyone talks mm -hmm. about, like sit staring at a screen. I never had that. If I, if I got to where I was, no, I, I, was, I was done. Yeah, I, I, my problem is I overwrite, uh, and then it's the editors that are like, oh, dear God, what do we cut? Because um, I usually write mm, 80,000 words, uh, and, uh, and just, just looking what to cut. Because once I start vomiting into it, it just all comes out, and I usually, get, I usually get whole chunks, and I'm like, okay, let's save that for another separate thing. But I don't, uh, you know, I always write from the ending. I know where I want to end. I know what my point is. And then I know where I'm going to start. And then I just start uh, vomiting. And it's really an, an interesting thing because it'll take you different places. If you write it like you write it, and I think I write it the same way, 
it'll take you different places that you didn't really expect because you're 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 processing all of the information that you have, but then when it's coming in, you're like, well, wait a minute, I, and you're just thinking things through. It's it's an interesting process because it's the only one that you do and that I do that you can actually spend time on. That's actually super interesting to me how processes are similar and different. So I, I talk about this at the beginning of the book. When I got the deal, on the deal that I actually signed, the title of the book was Why I Left the Left. And I started writing that book for about three weeks. And then I realized, I was like, I don't wanna write a book about what I'm against. I wanna write a book about what I'm for. So the, the entire genesis of the book changed. Uh, but it's also interesting that you said that, your book, that you know the ending. Because as I got towards the ending, I realized I wanted a different ending. I, I don't wanna give the, the ending away, and I definitely want you to read it before we, before we do our sit down. Um, but I didn't know, yeah, I, you, I could feel it. And as I got towards the end, I was like, ah, I don't know what's happening here because this is actually where I'm at now. And you, you, also, you know, when, you, when you're really going through your thoughts and really making sure this is truly what I believe about these issues, um, it's that just in and of itself changes you. So I felt like I was sort of a different person by the time I got to the end than, than where I started too. I think that's really, I mean, those are the important books, Dave. You know, the, the, my best-selling book um, was uh, Common Sense. I think we sold 2 million copies of Common Sense. And I remember I, I was going to just dump it, I was just going to dump it online anonymous because I was so afraid of what was said in it. Uh, and because I really... I started writing it on vacation and I was reading it to my kids and my wife. And I'm like, I don't know if I have the guts to say this stuff. Uh, and as I just started going and going, I didn't know where that was going to end. Um, but it was just putting together all of this stuff in my head that I thought was a real problem and somebody needed to say it. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're approaching it and it's really soul searching and you realize that's not what I want to say. You're not doing it for, um, it's not a calculation on where is yeah. the country going to be? What is it? You're just really focusing. Those are the important books. And that's yeah. obviously what you're doing. So, so let me ask you something. So as a guy that's written all these books, done all this stuff, I think the real sort of core of this is that I want people to stand up for what they believe in, even if it's different than what I believe in. I, I lay out all my political ideals here, and you're gonna disagree with some of them. And as I said to you when I interviewed you just a couple of days ago, I, I hope that we'll focus on our differences when, when we talk about my book, because so, that's a beautiful so thing, tell, actually. give me one that we differ on. So give one me something you think on. we're gonna disagree on. Well, for sure. I mean, and this is this is the big one for all my conservative friends. I, I am still what I would say is begrudgingly pro-choice. And that is the argument that I lay out there. I talk about a 12-week cutoff, and then there's a couple um, a couple exceptions related to the, the mother's health and the rest of it. But I know that this is the one that for my conservative audience, um, that they're really not going to be happy with me. Most of the other stuff where we disagree, I mean, you and I pretty much take a libertarian approach on things. So it's like, you know, we could whittle them into almost nothing. Um, but I think that that one probably so, will be the big one. So can I tell you, in some ways, I'm begrudgingly pro-life. I don't like messing <laughs> I in people's that lives. 
Yeah, I, I don't like missing in people's lives. Um, you know, when it's at the cell state, it's potential life. You know, is it life? When does it become a child? I don't know. I don't think any of us are going to know. I don't want to insert myself into your situation where, you know, you've got a a girl who is in a abusive you know, relationship with the father and if, and the mom, and if they find out that she's going to be destroyed, you know, all that stuff. I don't want to get into any of that. And so I'm kind of, I, I insert myself because I feel like I have a moral responsibility, but I don't want to sit there and pound anybody who's had an abortion or is thinking about abortion, unless you're like the baby mill kind of people, you know, unless you're right, the right, right. celebrate your abortion. That's, that's obscene. That's just obscene. So I don't think we actually differ all that much. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, you're going to read the book and we'll, we'll find out what those parts are. But, but even the way yeah. you laid that out, I've never heard any of my, my pro-choice friends say, uh, sorry, my pro-life friends say begrudgingly pro-life. So that, that is sort of interesting. And I think that that's probably because you lie more on the libertarian part of this, where you're still, even though yeah. you want to protect that life, you still are so, oh, I don't want the government involved, that that's where the begrudging part comes in. And I'm just coming at it from a slightly different perspective. But again, that's, that's a beautiful and thing I, when we can whittle it down to that. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's also, Dave, part of it is, and I know you're like this, I hate my job in some ways because it requires me to go into absolutes or to judge, you know, this person is wrong, this person is right. And the more I learn about people, the more I learn that if you really knew what was going on in their life, you would understand a lot more. You may not agree with them, but you would have much more empathy, you know, except for the despicable people that, that really are. They don't think about anything. They just are doing it for greed or fame or whatever. And that's a different story. But I don't know who those people are. Um, I can guess, but I don't know. And, mm -hmm. and so I hate this, this thing to where, you know, it's social justice. There is no such thing as social justice. There is God's justice, which is perfect. And then there's man's justice, which is as good as we can get it, but we're all flawed. There's no such thing as being able to balance the scales. And that's the hardest thing. And people just are like, no, we've got that person's wrong. We got to take all that stuff and give it over to that person. Good God, you're only making things worse. Glenn, are you saying that with all of our political acumen and, and all of the thinking we oh. put into all this, you're saying that you and I couldn't write a document that would be perfect for all people? Is that what you're saying? Because this changes. I'm going to have to weird? my second edition of the book. Yeah. It's going to be very different. Hey, I got, it's I got so one bizarre. more for you. I got one more for you. And then we, we got Shapiro in a minute. And I know you got you to gotta work over there, too. Um, are you yeah, at this moment because thing. of... Are you at this moment, because of coronavirus, because of the way people are thinking about things differently, are you actually more hopeful right now for the ideas that we care about than you have been in the past? And have you seen moments like this come and go? Because right now, I, I genuinely am seeing a really nice moment for us if, if people keep their heads on straight. Um, but I suspect it's not the first time it's happened, and it doesn't always stick. 
we got about a minute. So, uh, first of all, uh, you look at uh, September 11th, it sticked, you know, how long did that stick? It didn't stick around very long. Um, you know, uh, time, times of crisis come uh, and we pull together. I've never seen anything like this, and that's why it concerns me so much. You know, the, the, the socialists are after, and the environmentalists are after, shutting the economy of the world down like this and then reshaping it. And when you're talking about universal basic income and, uh, you know, modern monetary policy, I, I'm not sure, Dave, that that doesn't sound very good to a lot of people because when we start to really see the effects of this and start to put this economy back together, it's going to be harder than we thought, I, I think. Uh, and there are going to be people that are really angling to be able to split us apart again and play, you know, all of the uh, on all of the differences. We really have to come together as united we stand, you know, e pluribus unum and and say, look, we're going to disagree on a ton of things, a ton of things. But we have basic principles uh, of of human decency in common. And if we can ch just recognize that there is no greater mission statement. We've never fulfilled it. And if we did, we should pat ourselves on the back and go on and do another mission statement. But there's never been a mission statement greater than all men are created equal. None, ever. And we need to just buckle down and look at all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain rights and protect those rights. If we can just agree on that, we can live and let live on so many other things. Well, Beck, I know at least the two of us are agreed on that. I thank you for taking some time this morning. And I just want to say, now that I got this book gosh, out of the way, I, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled to, to be on this adventure with you. you. You've been a friend and an ally, and I love working with you guys at The Blaze. And uh, let's fix this thing. I have nothing Likewise. better to do. And you're right. Dave, please make sure you get me a, a copy. All right, I'll just buy it right. online. I'll get a digital no, no, we, copy we myself. We sent it out to you already. Uh, but, so, uh, but we'll. you know what? Here, let's. we're just going to... Oh, we sent it to Tyler. It's probably no, no, sitting I'll, in Tyler's just, That's perfect. Yeah, it's sitting there. I'll, I'll buy it on Amazon today, and I'll read it before we talk again. Thank you so much. Thanks, my friend. Be good. Bye. All right. All right, thanks to Glenn. His copy is sitting, Tyler's the COO of The Blaze. He's a great guy. It's, it's sitting in Tyler's office. Tyler, if you're watching this, can you, can you drive over there or would you get arrested? I don't know. All right, I'm told we have Ben Shapiro on the line. Ben Shapiro, are you there? I believe we have Ben Shapiro. I'm gonna keep signing books while we get Shapiro. He's coming. I can see something happening on the screen over there. Why, Dave right. Rubin? Ben Shapiro. What are you doing here? What? Ben, shouldn't, shouldn't you be out snitching on neighbors or something? You're just sitting at home, just waiting for people to call you on Skype? Yeah, well, you know, I'm one of the members of the media elite. So I get to sit here and say that the economy <laughs> should remain closed and keep my job. So I don't know about you, but I'm pretty comfortable. <laughs> I mean, like, look, I've got my Churchill poster. Everything's good. Everything's good. So how's all the book stuff going? Don't burn this book by Dave book? Rubin. Go buy it today. It is good. It is a good book. Ah, that, you know, that, that perfect inflection and speed with which you speak, it has such a, it has such a smooth move across, across the internet. Um, yeah, things are good. I mean, the, the book is, is selling like crazy. And I was just talking to Glenn Beck and I was saying how, you know, this is my first one of these. And it's weird because you, 
it's like you want this thing out for so long and I finished it last summer and I actually, I feel like I gave birth this morning. And as you know, men yeah. can give birth now. So and then, I'm that, feeling pretty good true, about things. True, it's, it, 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 watch out for the postpartum depression. It, it, <laughs> it is a real thing. Like after, after, the book, after the book comes out, there's a bit of a, a climactic moment and then it's like, oh, well, I guess that, that's, that's over with. So hopefully it'll be a couple of, it'll be several weeks on the bestseller list before you realize that your baby's ugly. Yeah, exactly. So I just asked Glenn this, and I'm, wor I'm wondering about your opinion on this. So I'm feeling pretty, although the world is crazy, and you're right, we're struggling to reopen, and you know we're stuck here in, in California where it's gonna be you know really slow because of our wonderful progressive politicians. But on the idea side, I'm actually feeling pretty hopeful for a lot of the things that you and I care about. Like people suddenly are talking about states' rights. I think suddenly people who weren't that into the Second Amendment are going, oh, I should be able to protect my, myself and my family. People are going, oh, I should have the right to assembly, the Fourth Amendment, like a whole slew of things that I know you and I care about from an individual liberty perspective are suddenly, they're feeling kind of cool maybe to a new set of people. Are you with me well, on that, or do you think I that mean, just I, the, I definitely the giant think that that's happening. It, no. it's, it's sort of polarized. I, I think that on the one hand, whenever you have you know tens of millions of people out of work, that means that there's going to be a loud clamor for more government interventionism in the economy, and, and that scares me. A complete rewriting of the bargain. You can see that many Democrats are, are right now talking about that. You know, speaking of things like you know, reshaping the nature of, of capitalism, you saw Bernie Sanders write a piece like this for the New York Times. Basically, all of their priors they now want to apply in a time of pandemic because people are worse off than they were a few months ago. It's hard to make the case that you need to overthrow the American system with 3.5% unemployment and wages going up. It's a lot easier to make the case you need massive government interventionism when you've got 15% unemployment and millions and millions of people out of work and people going to food banks who never thought they'd have to go to a food bank. So that, is, that, that frightens me. It's one of the reasons I think that we need to get back to a free market opening as soon as possible. And also so that we have more information and so that we know how the new demand curves look so people can move out of industries that are in trouble and into industries that are going to be growing you know out of things like retail and into online sales for example if this is going to be a long lasting thing and the, the, the market will respond to the situation but we don't know exactly how yet so on that side i'm i'm kind of pessimistic on the on the personal liberty side i'm pretty optimistic i think people are tired of this the, the good news is that yeah. the socialist government will pay for everything came along with the socialist we're going to control every aspect of your life such that we are going to scream at you if you walk outside of your house and I think most people are not willing to trade the the security of increasing their their life expectancy by a small amount, particularly if you're young, uh, for the for the risk of the government can keep you inside all the time forever. And, and it really does vary by age. I mean, what, I think the media have been deeply irresponsible in how they've covered this. I think the politicians have been deeply irresponsible in how they've talked about all of this. And this really should be an area where we're all on the same page. But I, I do. I'm in California with you. The weather outside is beautiful. There is a real sense like we need to get out of this like immediately when it was raining outside and it was terrible outside. I was like, okay, well, I guess we, you know, we're not going anywhere anyway. But now you got the stupid LA County saying we're going to shut down every park and every beach. And so people in LA are like, okay, fine, I'll just go to Newport. Fine, I'll head on over to Burbank or Pasadena and go to the park and socially distance because mm -hmm. I'm a responsible human being and I'm going to take care of my kids and I'm not going to cough on other people. And I, I, I think that people eventually are going to get to the point where they say, I trust the American people enough to make their own decisions that I don't need Eric Garcetti or Gavin Newsom telling me what an essential business is. Do you think some of this is also that it's just always harder to make a liberty-based argument just because people don't really think things through? So it's like right now, 
if you're making a state-by-state -state argument, which I think makes sense, right? Greg Abbott in Texas, he's saying, okay, we've done this, now we're gonna end it on April 30th and we'll see what happens. But you're gonna have to, like the, the next step of that is you're gonna have to acknowledge that it might cause another spike. That's a little scarier, like actually admitting the truth rather than just saying, no, we're just gonna lock down forever. And I think that almost, you know, as I've sort of done what this book is about, as I've sort of evolved politically, I've noticed that it's much, much harder to make any argument from a conservative or right-leaning perspective because you actually have to make a real argument as opposed to just saying something and it kind of sounds right so then people just go along with it. And that, that, that's certainly true, especially when it comes to calculating risks and rewards in public policy. I, I think it's really yeah, ugly yeah. and, and last, last refuge of the, of the political scandal stuff for Andrew Cuomo, for example, to say, if we're just gonna save one life. Okay, well, if we're just gonna save one life, then you, you should really like just confine people to their houses permanently. Because the fact mm -hmm. is that no matter how you reopen, there will be an increase in the curve. I mean, everybody understands this. There will be an increase in cases. But this is because politicians have basically been fibbing about this whole thing all along. There was the misimpression that flatten the curve meant that when we come out the other side, that the curve will be zero. And that, of course, is not true. Flattening the curve was meant to prevent the overwhelming of our healthcare system. We didn't overwhelm our healthcare system, so now we've done what we can do. The, the testing and tracing thing. When people talk about testing and tracing will make us all safe. No, that's not how any of this works. Testing and tracing is designed to locate hotspots and maybe be able to suppress those hotspots again so that they don't overwhelm the healthcare system. But it's not going to prevent over time the area under that curve from being the same. It's just preventing the spikes in the curve. So understanding this sort of stuff is necessary to understanding public policy. And trying to balance the risks and rewards here is a difficult thing. The easiest thing you can do is say, all damages caused are caused by the pandemic. All of the good things that are happening, like you being alive, that is caused by me, right? This is sort of the Gretchen <laughs> Whitmer strategy in Michigan. And, right. and, that's, and, and that, that's a very easy thing to say. But in reality, you know, the, not only are there countervailing issues on the other side, such as the fact that you know people are going to lose their jobs and their livelihoods and their dreams and quality of life actually matters, but none of these governors are going to keep things locked down forever. I mean, Andrew Cuomo, when he said, just save one life, five days later, he's saying we're going to open up parts of, of New York State. Okay, so which is it? I mean, obviously, that means that more people are going to be infected. So you were always going to make this public policy consideration. Nobody just wants to say the obvious truth, which is that we're all making actuarial deductions about what are the costs in terms of how many human lives how many, how many years of life? Because that is an actual issue in actuarial tables, right? If, if somebody who is 81 dies of COVID-19, that is not the same thing as somebody who is 30 dying of COVID-19. I mean, if this were killing children, everyone would be in for lockdown forever. That's the reality, right? If a bunch of five-year-olds were dying of COVID-19 and, and people were saying, get back to work, everybody would be like, nope, I'm not letting my five-year-old die. If grandma right. dies in a nursing home at age 81, that's tragic and it's terrible. Also, life expectancy in the United States is 80. So that, that is not the same thing in, in moral terms, you want to save every life you can. At the same time, to pretend that it is of the same, it is of the same calculation, the age of the person, no public policy acts like that. Not a single public policy in American life acts like that. This is why, for example, you know, driving is, is a useful economic activity. In many states, once you hit a certain age, you can't drive anymore. And why? Because we've made the calculation that we don't want you crashing into somebody else and killing them. Right? There, are, there are lots of things that we do in public life that are, that are trade-offs. Politicians have a stake in pretending there are no trade-offs. And now what's, what's really crazy is that the media apparently have a stake in pretending there are no trade-offs. I really blame the media more than the politicians. Politicians will never tell you about the trade-offs. Every policy is 100% good or 100% bad. The, the media pretending that you know, Greg Abbott is terrible, but acting like Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, who's a Democrat and opening, right. does not exist, is not even a human being, is crazy.
Well, right. We, so we've got Whitmer saying, you know, you can't go out and buy seeds and you can't do landscaping in Michigan. While meanwhile, people can actually, you know what you do with seeds, Ben? And I now know this because I'm doing it myself. You start seeds indoors and then you put them outdoors. But also the just the idea that the governor would be allowed to say that. I literally mailed seeds to people in Michigan just, just basically as a F you to her. I mean, and it's like, you know, I'm pretty sure she's still... We should be outdoors. What the hell is she talking about? Like, <laughs> outdoors is the best thing that can happen to you right now. You're far away from other people. There's open air. There's wind. The virus doesn't live in sunlight. It doesn't live in heat. Like, what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? This is, this is why, I mean, I'm, I'm enraged by Eric Garcetti and Gavin Newsom. I'm just enraged by them. I think this is absurdity at the highest level. I'm driving along Mulholland Drive, and they literally deployed somebody to put yellow tape along the overpasses at Mulholland Drive. Well, you live out here. You know that those overpasses are seven feet square. Like, what do they think? is gonna happen over there. People are just gonna get over there and start making out on Mulholland Drive in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic by the hundreds. Like what, what in the world? But none of this, uh, this is where you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is not actually calibrated to save lives. This is actual posturing beyond a certain point. And, and it's convenient posturing for people who are very fond of, of government involvement in our lives. Like I, I don't think that, that Eric Garcetti or Gavin Newsom are a bad will, that they wanna destroy Americans' lives and destroy their livelihoods. I just think that for them, the countervailing interests are not as strong. So the countervailing interests for conservatives are, I like freedom. I like, I like being able to engage in economic activity that entrepreneurs create. I like the free market system. I like all of these things. And so that is a countervailing interest to lockdown forever. For Democrats, it's like lockdown forever saves lives. And also, if that has impacts on the free market, that's actually a net plus, right? That's, that's something right, that, that helps win. us remake the world in a direction that we like. So it's actually two things in favor of the lockdown as opposed to weighing competing values. This is why when people say we're just following the data or we're just following the science, no, the data and the science are the same for everybody. We can all look at the data and the science, I would hope, right, and, and be realistic about the risks and, and, the, and particularly to different populations. The real question is, what are your competing values? And people who are not honest that this is really a question of competing values at this point are, are just being dishonest. That's what it is. So listen, man, I know you got a crazy day and we're gonna do this 20 question thing that you're gonna rifle off at me. Before we get to that, though, you, you hit the media on something and, and you and I have been you know, sort of bashing mainstream news for all time now, or for years at least. And now it seems like a lot of people are kind of getting it. Like that clip of Chris Cuomo, that stage WWE style clip. I mean, it's a, it's a skit, it's an SNL skit with writers. He comes out of the, the basement and he's sweaty because he's been working out, yet he's also chipping his tooth because of his coronavirus nightmares. I mean, the whole thing is nonsense. He says he's been in there for weeks. It turns out that he actually got into a fight with a bicyclist outside of his house just a few days before that. His second but then house, the media, his second house. But yep. Yeah, oh, right, second house. But then the media runs cover for him as if this is all true. And then we're seeing another even more perverse version of this now, which is this Tara Reid story. And putting aside the allegations about Biden, it's like when this happened to Kavanaugh, because Kavanaugh's a, a, a conservative, we know we had weeks of literally thousands of articles about it. The New York Times hid this for weeks, then they put it on page 23 or 24, and then in the article it's mostly about Trump, or at least a decent portion about Trump. Um, do you think more people right now are catching on to the media BS than ever before because we're trapped at home, you're forced to be online, so suddenly you're seeing memes, you're seeing extended clips, you're watching Acosta say one thing, and then you can see the reality a second later. So that's pretty hopeful for us, right? I mean, I do think that's hopeful. I suggested on my show this morning that the White House should really end the political briefings entirely, and they should refuse to allow, uh, not refuse to allow, but they should, they should 
urge newspapers to send their health policy reporters to the White House to talk with Burks and Fauci. It's completely useless. I've asked better questions huh. personally to Dr. Burks than the members of the White House press corps. The, pre the White House press corps go there and they ask questions like Olivia Nuzzi asking Trump about yeah. how many Vietnam yeah. War deaths there were. It's like, okay, that, that is not a question that is designed to elicit an answer. It's a, it's a question designed to get her on TV. Right? Jim Acosta pre-writing his idiotic lines about how lies don't live in sunlight and all this kind of stuff where he just sits there early each morning and writes these overdramatic lines while staring in the mirror at Jim Acosta. And ladies, find you a man who loves you like Jim Acosta loves Jim Acosta. It, it, it really is off-putting. The Washington Post headline, by the way, th that they tweeted out on the Tara Reid thing for the first time reporting it was, developments in allegations against Biden amplify efforts to question his behavior. That's not even in English. They're writing Swahili headlines at this point to avoid just saying that there are people who confirm that Tara Reid told them at the time that Joe Biden had sexually molested her, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what they are doing. Yeah, I mean, people are, are seeing through this. And the, the problem is they're seeing through it at a time when you actually need the media to be credible, right? You have the media who are urging right. people if to take ever. important action to be careful with each other. And at the same time, half the information they're reporting is directed at just taking down Trump. And another 25% of the information is alarmist nonsense. I mean, really, really alarmist nonsense. Reporting and, and reporting on, on polls that is just ridiculous. There, there's a poll I saw today where somebody, the, the poll was, what percentage of people think that we shouldn't, that we should lock down until the virus is contained? And it's like, that, that is the vaguest poll question I have ever seen. What yeah, do you mean the that. virus is contained? The hell are you talking about? There are 800,000 active cases in the United States that we know about, which means that in reality, you're looking more at like, five million active cases in the United States, probably four or five million cases in the United States. So like, it, it's all based on, on nonsense. It's all based on, on silliness. You know, trying to bring people straight information is becoming more and more difficult. I think people recognize that. It's why people are turning online. It's why people are turning to YouTube. And then you'll see YouTube, you know, YouTube said the other day that they're gonna take down any video that doesn't comply with sort of WHO standards. And it's like, well, if you'd held that standard back in January, and I had said mid-January that there was human-to-human -human transmission, you would have taken that down. If I had said at the beginning of March, by the way, I did say this, at the beginning of March, once the stats started to come out, that the actual death rate from this thing was not three or 4%, it was actually below 1%, then presumably under those standards, that could be taken down. The, the kind of appeal to authority by YouTube to shut down particular data, even, instead of just allowing the free argument, is again another area where people are starting to, to, to lose faith in our institutional gatekeepers. They, they, if, if forced to the choice between there are no gatekeepers and these people are the gatekeepers, more and more people are opting for there ought to be no gatekeepers, which by the way, I don't think it's, is the right solution. I think the, the right solution yes, is I agree. better gatekeepers, right? But, but, there, but that doesn't mean, but if I'm forced to the choice, I'll say no gatekeepers. And, and you know, I think that more conversation, the conversation is not about gatekeeping. It's about the actual debate and winning the debate. God, that's such a great point because I'm with you on that. I, I don't believe we can have a no gatekeeping, absolute free for all, like just information. We can have, inf I want as much information out there as possible in exchange of information and free thought and all that. But the idea that there'd be no gatekeeping, it would, it would be like everyone will just believe whatever they want to believe and we'll be totally screwed. But it's like and when, these when we say people, gatekeeping, I think we should be clear here so people don't take this yeah. out of context. I'm not saying that people should be deplatformed. Uh, what what uh -huh. I'm saying is that the, 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 what some of the people who argue no gatekeeping mean is that you, Dave Rubin, should be forced to have conversations with any conspiracy right. theorist they can name. And then right. you, you're not under that obligation. At the same time, I think the platforms generally you know, should be, have as wide latitude as possible for free speech uh, and, and allow particularly information that they may not disagree with. So uh, there, I think we're in agreement. Okay, I need to ask you this question. By the questions. way, we, I, we, should add, we should add that uh, if we were doing this by WHO guidelines and YouTube was taking down videos, they were also telling us not to wear masks. What was that, about six weeks ago? So if you were telling people to wear masks, 
six weeks ago, you would have been taken down at that point. So it's all bananas. It's crazy. Okay, so let's ask you some of these questions. All right, questions. Shapiro, 20 questions. Let's do it. Dave Rubin, let's do this. Who is your all-time favorite guest on the Rubin Report? And I'm going to add a caveat. You're not allowed to say Jordan Peterson. I can't say Jordan Peterson. Ah, I'm going to say Richard Lewis, the comedian Richard Lewis. I always loved him. And just to sit across from him and think that he's in Curb, I just loved it. Okay. What state also would you like Shapiro. to relocate to? Because, uh, because you're going to relocate, right? I mean, there's no chance you stay here long term. I mean, I mean, Texas, I got so many people begging me to come to Texas. I feel like I, I could be governor there in about half a minute. <laughs> if you could meet any president, who would it be? Uh, well, if it doesn't matter if they're living or dead. I mean, I think I would do George Washington. But if they're living, I mean, I would like to talk to Trump. Uh, believe it or not, I know you, we've discussed this. And there would be a, a, a extreme cost uh, at talking to him publicly. I have talked to him privately. Um, but I'd like to do it. Okay, best book that you've read this year, aside from your own? Uh, you know, I really loved Right Side of History. I'm not just saying that because That's you're nice on. You. I, I, actually, I actually referenced it a couple times in the book, and I think it gives a good explanation of why we, there, are, there is a history of learning that, that we should know and acknowledge. Points for Kiss Assery for Dave Rubin right there. What is your husband <laughs> David's favorite food to cook? Well, I know tonight, because it is my book launch night, I'm having him make my favorite thing, which is cast iron chicken parm. I, I was His sure that you were going to go for wedding cake, right? I mean, wedding cake is the obvious answer oh. there, correct? I mean, come on. Ben, you're the only who, one I would let make me a wedding cake. Come on now. I know, and I'm the only one who would bring you a cupcake instead. Who do you want to get on the Rubin Report this year? I really want Bill Maher because I think he's basically the last sane liberal and I'm doing the show on May 29th and I want to get into some of this stuff, but you, you've done it. It's like, I'll have five minutes with him, but I want an hour with this guy to really discuss what I think are maybe his blind spots related to the left. Uh, will you ever run for office? Oh God. Uh, you know, I've told people if Shapiro ever runs for president, I'll be press secretary. I could see maybe, maybe when I'm retired, I'm talking 65, 70, I could see maybe being a mayor in a tiny small town, but that's, that's probably it. But I like a well, press secretary idea, something like that. Apparently 65 is like the new, is like the new 40 because you have to be at least 90 years old to run for president at this point. That's, that's actually written <laughs> right, when into I'm 95, the I'll run for president. Yeah. Right. When you're, when, right. when you're dead, you'll run for president. If you were president, what would be your first initiative? Oh man, I'd, I'd cut the federal budget in half, just like that. And guess what, we'd be okay. Go to alcoholic debate drink. Uh, alcoholic, if I'm debating somebody, if I'm debating somebody and I really wanna get into it, like we're really gonna go at it, tequila. I mean, you give me some tequila, I'm, a, I'm alive, I'm awake, I'm ready to roll. I know you're a margarita man yourself. Absolutely, real manliness is in the rum Rita, <laughs> margarita with rum, the worst drink imaginable. Yeah, with, with your little, I've seen your little umbrella. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna go with this bull crap, faux masculinity, whiskey and on <laughs> pipe, like nonsense. I have three children, I don't need your faux masculinity. Shabbat dinner this weekend, with me or Dennis Prager? Oh, that's messed up. Uh, Shabbat, well, you know, I've done it with Prager, so we're, we're due for one of these, when we can actually do it in real life, we're due, yeah. That's great, okay, best part and worst part of living in LA? Well, the best part is what's happened over the last couple of years, that there's something sane brewing here, that, that you and Prager and Peter Thiel, there's like this new, interesting, not woke thing happening here, and it's actually kind of cool. Uh, the worst part of living in LA is, is uh, well, the traffic's the easy one. 
the worst part is that that we really are outliers in our own community. And uh, but I will say the silver lining to that is when I'm walking the dog down the street these days, a lot of people come up to me and they'll kind of hint. They'll be like, Dave, I'm like you, you know, so it, it's coming around. Favorite show host at The Daily Wire. <laughs> ben, I've given you way too much credit so far. You know, I think Clavin is just such a freaking clear thinker. I, I mean, all you guys are great, but I, I, Clavin, there's something about him that's a little bit like, you know, he's like your wise uncle, uh, that I just find his, his thinking is clear. He's had an interesting personal evolution. It's a good guy. Okay, Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out? And remember, I have no frame of reference for this question. Oh, right, you've never had either one of them, you poor Correct. soul. Um, Chick well, I, look, I'm an LA guy. We have mostly In-N-Out here, and I actually do miss In-N-Out, but I do enjoy that chicken sandwich. All righty, best place you have traveled to while on tour, since you're never traveling again. So now, now your, yeah. your summer vacation is booked for your kitchen. What's the best yeah. place that you've traveled to out on tour? While on tour, the best place, I mean, I mean the, truly the, the Stockholm Sweden shows that I did with Jordan were so absolutely extraordinary because the people there are so starved for free speech and something decent. And it's like Bernie and AOC constantly tell you how amazing Sweden is. And yet if you go there, you see people that are, are just afraid of their own shadow and going there and, and embracing those people was incredible. And it's also well, good it's news when this is all over, Sweden's going to be the only country left standing. Apparently. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> They're not going to get swamped by a second wave. What is your favorite yeah. PragerU video? Ben, I got to tell you, man, I don't know if you saw it, but my new one, my third one that went up yesterday, uh, it's called The Bravery Deficit. Uh, you're, I mentioned you in there. I, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done, actually. I know that's very self-effacing to talk about myself, but it, it's pretty damn good. Coolest artifact in Glenn Beck's studio collection other than the actual skull of Yorick from Hamlet? Uh, he, he has so many unbelievable things. Well, he has, he has one of three, I believe there were three of them in existence, the original three Darth Vader helmets that were from the 1977 New Hope Star Wars. And I actually got to put it on uh, for a photo shoot I did over there. Glenn wasn't there and his assistant was like, oh yeah, you can put it on. And I was like, if I break this thing, it's over. But freaking heavy and it, and it smells in there. And, but yeah, Darth Vader helmet, come on. Is that the one that he takes off like right at the end where he's got the ugly face underneath? That was, that was, do you know which, which Darth Vader helmet it was? Well, I think, I think it was from the 77 New Hope, not the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, right. I think so, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, I feel like I might die richer than Glenn because Glenn has so much stuff he, he has, spent so much money. <laughs> he, has, he has Dorothy's ruby red slippers. I mean, the guy is not messing around. That is, that is amazing. What is the most important rule from 12 Rules for Life? Oh, stand up straight with your shoulders back. It's the easiest one, of course, in terms of just, it's like the cliche one, but I think presenting something strong and powerful to the world actually starts making you behave that way. What is your favorite Star Wars episode? And you know, we'll just put aside Empire because obviously the answer is Empire. You know what, I'm gonna, I'll say something controversial for the purposes of this. Revenge of the Sith, well, we've discussed it. Revenge of the Sith is an excellent movie. They, they did everything they had to do in that movie. And if, yes, if Hayden Christensen had maybe taken a couple acting classes, that would have been nice. But it is a, it is a from the beat one to the end, it is an excellent movie. Certainly and the last the, hour the and a half. Once, 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 once Order 66 comes out, then things start to get real. And that's that, that, the rest of that movie is actually quite good. I'm, my, my theory, by the way, I'm, I'm kind of on board with Count Dooku. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've never yes. understood why Count Dooku is the villain. 
Count Dooku is actually like the only person who is speaking sanity throughout. He tries to recruit Ewan McGregor at one point. He's like, by the way, you know, it turns out you're working for a bad guy. He's like, no, you lie. Like, Count Dooku, man, Count Dooku for president. Ben, they needed to give Dooku about 10 more minutes to explain all that, because you're right, he was he was telling Obi-Wan the truth in that moment in Clones when he's, when he's hung up there. He's saying, dude, the Senate's under control by the bad guy. Join me, join me. And yeah. Didn't work out I mean, well. It just, it just shows because, I mean, if, if they'd listened to him and trade liberalization, that would that would have changed everything. What breed <laughs> is your dog, Clyde? We don't know exactly. Clyde's right over here. He's chewing the, the step. He's part pit, probably part terrier, maybe a little Basenji in there, something, something, something. Would you bake me a wedding cake? <laughs> I would do it just, ju well, I've literally never baked, so I would do it just out of sheer, you know, curiosity and, you know, something and like that. a feeling of moral superiority, naturally. So, Dave, it's been good to talk to you. I got to get back to my show, but you're going to sell a bajillion of these books. Folks, go out and buy Don't Burn This Book by Dave Rubin. Also, for the ancillary mentions of, of great Americans like me, uh, go, go check out <laughs> Don't Burn This Book. It's worth the read. All right. Thanks, brother. I know you got a busy day. I appreciate it. You bet. Catch you in a bit. All right, be good. All right, that was Ben Shapiro, ladies and gentlemen. And now I'm gonna continue signing books and taking your questions. I've talked to Glenn Beck, I've talked to Ben Shapiro. I am signing, don't burn this book. This is a new Sharpie, by the way. There's nothing like a new Sharpie uh, on fresh paper. It is it, the scent, I'm getting high over here. Uh, the the sort of liquid movement across the page. I, I actually do love it. All right, so if you wanna get a signed copy of Don't Burn This Book, um, you can get one. Go to premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben, and you can ask me a question right now. So I'm gonna get to more of your questions, and I'm signing books. Uh, Michael, message for you. Can you just uh, delete some of the ones that I've read already? That'll make it a little easier for me. Um, Oh, I was answering a question by Lauren um, about civil liberties that people are giving them up and do I see this trend continuing? Well, what I am worried about, Lauren, is that the more we go on with this thing, right? So here in, in LA, for example, and most of California, we've, we're almost at two months now of this. We're almost at two freaking months of being trapped in our houses. Um, what I'm worried about is the old world, remember where we used to go bowling and you might go out for dinner and meet a friend for a beer and go to Starbucks and do some other stuff, take a walk. What I'm worried about is the more that we do this, we'll actually start to forget what the old world was like. And I'm also worried about the fact that right now it seems like it, all these small businesses, these mom and pop shops, they're gonna all be taken away. And that is the backbone of American society. And we're only gonna have chain stores that can survive things like this and all that. So I'm worried that we will sort of give up our civil liberties just by, by just following the rules all the time. So that's why I've said this before a couple of times. It's like, if, if right now we have to decide when to open up and how to do it, I'm going to be one of the people that is going to be pushing harder on do it sooner and do it faster. Not, not with reckless abandon, but I am very worried that we are going to just forget the old world. We're gonna sort of accept this new normal. We'll all be under the thumb of big tech even more because this will be how we'll, the only way we're gonna be able to communicate. And I think it's deeply dangerous. You know, as a guy that interviews people for a living, I miss sitting across from people, you know, like I miss it. I had a friend in New York City who's single um, and he, I spoke to him a couple of days ago. I said this on a live stream recently. And he said, he said, Dave, you know, more than anything else, I miss human touch. You know, he hasn't touched anybody in two months. That's not good. Like, I want to hug my mom. You know, it's like, 
we got to get back to, to some of this stuff. And I am worried that we'll forget what, what made us as a country so special, which is that we fight for our civil liberties like nobody else on earth. All right, I'm signing books, people. Get your signed copy of Don't Burn This Book at premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben. And uh, all right, let's jump over. Uh, Siku in Veneer, Ontario says, are there any modern feminists that you would consider having on the Ruben Report? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's unfortunate. I guess when you say modern feminist, you mean sort of third wave intersectional feminist, not Christina Hoff Summers style feminist. So obviously I'm more in line with say the first wave feminist, Camille Paglia, uh, Christina Hoff Summers, that, that generation of feminists, which wanted equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. And, uh, but I'd be happy as long as someone will treat me with respect. I mean, I say this all the time. You're a decent person. You're going to treat me with respect and have an honest conversation. I'm going to have that conversation with you. All right. I'm signing books, people. We are signing books. Um, by the way, if you haven't picked up your copy and you can get it on Amazon or, or I guess we're pushing premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben right now. Um, some of the people that you might see on the back of the book that, that gave me some really great Blurbs, uh, Jordan Peterson, you might've heard of that guy, this Ben Shapiro character, Eckhart Tolle, not bad, not bad, the power in now, uh, Peter Thiel, Tucker Carlson, and my friend Larry King all gave blurbs for the book, which is great, and I am signing these copies right now. Uh, by the way, a, a whole bunch of you, I'm not gonna say it right now because I don't wanna give it away, but a whole bunch of you, I feel that's a very good signature right there. That was like a real good one right there. Um, a whole bunch of you have already sent me funny comments about who I book, uh, dedicated the book to. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you should see it. I think many of you will understand why I dedicated it to this person. And I will, uh, I do explain further in the book why I did that. Okay, let's see. Um, Paul in uh, Tonino, Washington says, do you feel like the left has abandoned people who are simply gay or lesbian to be more woke for all other genders? Um, yeah. I mean, that we know this, right? Like if you're, if you're a gay, well, especially if you're a gay white man, you're now considered privileged by the left's endless need to take everybody down a peg as it you know, sort of ascends its uh, climb to power. Um, so if you're just a white, you know, the, in their pecking order, if you're a Latina lesbian, you're above a gay white man. And if you're a, a black gender queer or something or other, you're above that person. I mean, these things, it's all a series. It, picture it of, as as either a house of cards or if you were to build like something out of toothpicks. It's like none of this makes sense and everyone knows it doesn't make sense, but people keep playing along. Um, but I am, I am sort of concerned about that because you know it all started actually. The first moment where I realized the left was done with the gays in effect was, uh, it was actually the day I met Peter Thiel. This is now about four or five years ago. Um, and that very day there was the article, I think it was in Advocate Magazine, maybe it was an Out Magazine, but nobody, nobody reads these gay magazines anymore, which it's fine. I mean, they're, they're not relevant anymore because gay people are equal and zippity damn do and nobody wants special rights. Well, I, I don't want special rights. Um, but there was an article about how Peter Thiel, uh, he's not gay. And what they meant by that, it's not that he has, he's happens. Well, he's married to a man, but that's not gay in their in their view. What gay is is that you have to identify with all their politics. So they've actually the left has actually started, and the and the far left radicals have started to take away sexuality from gay people. So it really it's just a, it's a hysterical monster that we need to put to bed. And by the way, I think we are putting it to bed. And I think uh, I hope that this book will do uh, a yeoman's job of making that happen. Um, Tana 
asks in Ponce Inlet, Ponce Inlet, Florida, uh, who's been your favorite person to interview on the Rubin Report? So Shapiro asked me this. He said, I can't say Sh Peterson. Um, I said Richard Lewis, the comedian. I just, I just love that. You know, it's kind of funny as an interview. I don't think it was one of my best because he's a comic, and you know, a lot of these guys, you just have to sit them down, you wind them up, and they go. So I didn't have to do much during the interview, but I just loved talking to this guy who I've always loved, um, who I think is one of the one of the great comics that we have. Um, but I'll give you another one. Um, let me see. I'll give you another one. Who else have I loved? Well, I think Douglas Murray. I mean, Douglas Murray is like is basically like the clearest, cleanest thinker that we've got. I don't, I can't even think of anything off the top of my head that I have like a severe political disagreement with him on. Not that that would matter actually, um, but he's just a great thinker and he's fun and he's funny and he's, uh, he's just interesting and, and he's wonderful. Um, let's see, uh, Matthew in uh, Cranbourne, West Victoria says, do you think the coronavirus will draw us more into local trade and a step away from globalism. I hope so, but if you just listen to what Ben was saying, it's like a lot of the, the socialist types, so I, what you're sort of calling the globalists here, they're gonna use this as an excuse for major government takeovers over everything and major government handouts, and that's gonna be appealing to a certain amount of people. Um, but I think those of us that are liberty-minded and if you believe in competition and capitalism uh, and you believe in human ingenuity and if you believe in more than anything else, if you believe in humanity, meaning that it, go find what you wanna do in this world, it's like we better start helping out small businesses, help out your local restaurants and all of those things because nobody wants to work for giant chains. It's like working for the government. That's like a soul sucking thing. It doesn't mean that people who work for the government are bad people, but like we all want, like what would you rather do? As a, as a, let's say you wanna be in the food service business. Would you, most people that get into food service, like the idea is I'm gonna own my own restaurant one day because it's yours. You get to do with it what you want. You get pride and passion. And then you can learn and build a business like I've built here. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Oh, that's a great signature right there. There you go. Um, so I, I hope that people will remember that. And I really hope that people will, um, will continue to support small businesses. And I'll do my share when, when this starts opening up. Um, and when we've been buying things on Amazon right now, we've been trying to do you know some of their, some of their partners and not just go to the big boys the entire time. Uh, let's see, uh, Brent in Abilene, Texas, what books or podcasts would you recommend a leftist to watch? I mean, I can't possibly recommend anything more than this. If you've got a friend who's a lefty or like kind of on the fence or just trying to figure the freaking thing out, that's what this is. This is a roadmap so that they can think for themselves. I don't, I don't belittle people in this. I, I talk about the ideas. I talk about what I think the right ideas are and what I think the wrong ideas are. And I give you a sort of roadmap for, for you yourself, right? So I'm guessing if you asked me this question, Brent, you've probably got a, a lefty sibling or friend or brother, whatever it may be, um, and you wanna give them something that'll help wake them up. I think this is done right. There's just enough humor in it. I don't take myself too seriously, but I talk about ideas in a, in a, in a dense, interesting way, and I think, it's the right, I think it's the right path to get some of them on. Uh, let's see, uh, Karen in Port Orchard, Washington says, why aren't we pushing back against the educational system that is teaching our children what to think instead of how to think. Well, I think a lot of us are pushing back. Um, by the way, this is completely why, and I talk about this in the book, that I'm completely for school choice and I'm completely for charter schools. You know, it's so funny. This is one of those things that on the left, 
they're constantly telling you how bad our education system is and everything's not funded well and blah, blah, blah. And then they don't want school choice. They don't want parents to be able to pick which schools their children are able to go to. They don't want charter schools. They want everything done by the state, authoritarian power telling everyone what to do. Uh, but to the heart of your question, should I move some of these down maybe? Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I was gonna create a Tower of Babel here. Now we're gonna shift them over a little bit. Here, why don't I do this? Then people can maybe see some of the copies of the book there. Um, you know, so I think what we need here is as much choice as possible. I actually think homeschooling is probably gonna come back way stronger uh, right now because I think a lot of people are enjoying it. They're realizing they've been putting a ton of money into private schools and it's not like every private school is perfect too. So I think there, we're, we're in a massive moment of change right now. And what I keep telling you guys is the people that view everything through the permanent partisan political lens, left this, right this, um, that's not really the way to look at it. Do you wanna be free or do you believe that someone else has a has better understanding of how you should live your life? And I think more and more people are gonna realize that. And you can even see the, the system, the gatekeeper fighting against it. It was the Harvard Review, I believe it was, that put out this really awful article, but the, the cartoon on the front the implication was that homeschooling is dangerous because the, you know, the kids are only gonna learn about the Bible and some core subjects and not like all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't know, it's up to the parent. It's up to the parent, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, oh, Alex in Austin, Texas, how do we solve the media problem in the United States without infringing on free speech or looking like we have state controlled narrative? Oh, we got a huge problem with the media and I just talked to Ben about this. I mean, we're watching them sort of collapse, right? CNN has basically become a, a, a fiction. CNN is a, it's not even a fiction. It's, it's just made up nonsense. And, and they expose themselves every day. I mean, these, these quote unquote journalists are activists. I am not a journalist. I have never wanted to be a journalist. I did a video yesterday uh, talking about how the media is covering for Biden with these Tara Reid allegations. I didn't wanna do it even. In the, in the morning as I was discussing it with my team, I was like, I'm not a newsman. This isn't what I wanna cover. But it's like, in a weird way, any if you care about truth at any level, we've been left having to cover for the media, which has just totally dropped the ball. So I don't, I, look, I don't think the state should be funding, and I don't think the state should be funding NPR or anything. The state shouldn't be funding media at any level. I'm sorry if some people are gonna lose their jobs and some things are gonna lose funding, but hopefully if they're good at what they do, they'll figure out other ways to do it. Hey, look at me, right? Like there's a, there's a way to do it. You guys support what we do. By the way, our live stream yesterday, because I talked about Biden and Tara Reid, of course it was demonetized. So we make no money on that, but you guys support us, uh, however many of you do. Support us at rubenreport.com and you can pay whatever you want. You get ad-free video and podcast and all that. And that allows me to make the right choices based on what I think it's important to talk about rather than what's just gonna make us money. Um, but what are we gonna do? Uh, we, we have a huge problem and I think more than anything else, I mean, this is why I started Locals. You, you should just support the people that you think are doing something basically close to the truth, that you think are trying to put something good out there because the mainstream media is not coming back. The, the social justice monster, the, the progressive monster, these things have infected these systems. The New York Times is infected. The, the CNN is infected. These things will not come back, but new things will come. And one of the things I've been thinking about lately is, you know, so many of us, and I include myself in this, we spend so much time railing against CNN and the rest of it, and it's like, maybe we should just let them die the slow death. Like, maybe we need to stop talking about them because nobody's watching them. 
Uh, and the whole economic model doesn't even make sense. What I what it costs me to do a year of my show is probably one night of Anderson Cooper. And and very few people are watching that anyway. So all of this is up in the air and just, just try to support whether that means watching or donating or whatever, uh, the people that you think are, are decent. Um, uh, Alex in Lenexa, Kansas, do you think you will ever do a video series unrelated to politics? You know, I really would love to, and I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been trying a little bit to talk about politics a little bit less lately. You know, I, I'm more interested in the culture thing, and as a lot of people talk about, politics is sort of downstream from culture, but now that culture is sort of catching up to kind of where we've been at, if you've been watching the show for a couple of years, like politics is sort of melded into culture now. It's all sort of one thing that's wrapped in a Trumpian bow or something like that. Um, and I'm not that interested in politics. This, this is the irony for, for people that are somewhat libertarian minded, you know, it's very easy for a socialist or a progressive to be like angry all the time and screaming about politics all the time because they believe politics is everything. They believe in their perfect society. They believe that we can build something that will solve all of humanity's problems. If you're more liberty-minded, it's like, I don't believe that that thing can be built. I certainly don't think that I can do it. What I can talk about is things that I care about that hopefully will allow people to live a better life for themselves, right? That's what I think is better. But be, but that's less clickbait, right? Like that's less, you know, ah, look at me, look what I'm doing. And I think that that is sort of a problem. So we have one side that's like, sort of hysterical in nature because they think that their salvation comes from all of the things that they believe in. And another side that just wants to be left alone because you might be more interested in art or in politics or in basketball or video games or knitting. And that sort of asymmetry, I think, makes it tough for the liberty-minded people um, to win an argument. Also, you know, progressives are really good about screaming a slogan, $15 minimum wage, free college for everybody. It's just a slogan. None of it makes any economic sense or even sort of basic political sense. Um, while people on the right, you know, they'll talk about ideas all day long so that I've done this a million times. I go to libertarian conferences and I get a drink at the bar after and suddenly I got surrounded by 20 people and we're debating whether driver's licenses should exist. It's an interesting, fun debate and I love having it, um, but it, not, it isn't necessarily the, the best way to sell the product of liberty. So uh, I think I got there. Uh, Mary in Lake Taps, Washington says, no question, just a big thank you for being fair and balanced. Thank you, Mary. Um, Rob in Williamsburg, Virginia says, love your story and looking forward to reading the book. Do you think that you'll ever have President Trump on your show? So if you didn't see it, we put up a video last week uh, where uh, my husband David and I, we talked about meeting Trump at Mar-a-Lago in December and you can find it, you should watch the video. I won't tell you the whole story here. Um, but I assure you first off that he has no problem with gay people. Far, it's far more than that actually. And you should watch the video to, to see what he said to us and all that. Uh, I had an interesting conversation. I had him alone for a few minutes actually. We had an interesting conversation. Um, I would love to have him on. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sort of nudge Junior a little bit to see if I could get him. And I think, by the way, I think for Trump, I think it would be a really wise move to do a show like this. Ah, not a show like this. I think it would be a wise move to do this show for Trump, um, because I would treat him the exact same way I've treated every single one of my guests, whether they, whether I agreed with them or not, I would treat him fairly. I wouldn't be trying to get him. I would actually just wanna hear what he says about these things. Um, I know it would unleash a world of hate uh, on me, um, but I guess this is the life that I chose, so here we are. Um, Ben in San Francisco, California, good luck up there, Ben, you're gonna need it, says, since your conversation with Larry Elder, what other profound shifts in your worldview have you experienced? Well, 
Well, I would say that the one thing that I've really shifted in more than anything else, um, because because many of my views are the same actually, but I, I view them now more through what I would say is the classical liberal or libertarian perspective, meaning individual liberty, it's your life, do what you want perspective, as opposed to the state has to force people to do certain things. I would say I've shifted economically for sure. And that that is not only from talking to a lot of libertarian economists, most notably Thomas Sowell, and reading several of Sowell's books, one of them, Discrimination and Disparities is right over there. Um, it's that in the process of building this show and doing everything that I've been doing, I've started a small business. I actually have not only uh, the production company that runs the Rubin Report, but I started locals.com, so I started a tech business too. And I put all of my principles in play in the businesses that I have, right? So like the most simple way of explaining it is the lower my taxes are in this absurdly, obscenely high taxed place of Los Angeles, when you lower my taxes, I can hire more people. We hired a new associate producer in the middle of coronavirus, right? Uh, we gave our guys bonuses because they're busting their butts. The government didn't force us to do anything, but I know if my taxes go down, we have some more money. It doesn't mean I'm gonna go buy a boat or buy a bajillion dollar house. What it means is I can do more for my business. So literally right now, I give you my word, government authorities, if you're listening, uh, please do this. If you lower my taxes again in, in a considerable way, uh, and I know you, you need all that money to do God knows what you do in California, but if you lower my taxes, I will hire more people. I mean, that my conversation with David all the time is that we would love to hire more people because we have, we have our guys are, are, especially now in a time of corona, working harder than ever before. The more you raise my taxes, the less I can give to my employees. So um, I think once I made that shift and you realize, oh, you want, people to have more of what they earn. It's like, what what is the government doing that is so spectacular that we should just be giving them more money? How about we give more money? Right now, you even see lefties seeing this. I saw a prominent blue check lefty who's like a far, far progressive. I saw him saying something about how we should be suspending taxes um, for the next three months. And it's like, I, I don't know that I totally agree with that, but it's like, oh, well, lefties are waking up and going, oh, people need their own money in times of crisis. So I don't wanna be in a time of crisis all the time, but how about we just give people back some more of their money and, and stop letting the government just take and take and take and take. Um, Zachary in St. James, New York says, what do you believe is Trump's biggest hurdle coming into 2020? I mean, without question, it, it's gonna be Corona and the economy, right? So if the economy is really tanking, if, if just we cannot get out of this, if the states are all sputtering to reopen, well, then Biden just has to stand there. And if he can get one thought out cohesively, he just has to say, hey, I'm not Trump. Why not give it a shot? The economy's shot, right? So why not give it a shot? The economy's shot. That could, that could be his slogan. Um, so I think that's Trump's biggest hurdle is that it'll, it'll be sort of what Ben referenced, which is that the media and most of the elites, they don't want the economy to open in a certain way. And it's not just because they really care about you. It's because they really, really want to stick it to Trump. I think that's just an uncomfortable, depressing truth. Um, so we have to figure out a way to break through some of the media narrative. And that isn't to say everyone should open up tomorrow and do whatever they want. And we should pack stadiums full of people, but we do need to get back to life, it is time. We did what we were supposed to do. The numbers are way lower than everyone predicted. Now, partly maybe we overblew it, partly that, that's great social distancing and we, and we did flatten the curve. But the media went so in on, and I still see this from even former guests on the show who have massive Trump derangement syndrome, saying crazy things about Trump has blood on his hands of 40,000 Americans and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, actually the numbers are way less across the board, across the board. So. Uh, 
anyway, I think you see my point that we've, we've got to reopen. And I think if we reopen and people, I believe the roaring twenties could be coming. I really do. I think people are going to be excited to uh, communicate again and go out again and be out and about and support small businesses. I hope that, you know, as we're going to watch tons of picture, your, your strip mall in your town, like most of those stores are closed right now and they're gonna probably remain closed and a lot of people are gonna get out of business, but my hope is that new people will get into business and it'll be on us to, uh, to help the people that we can help. Um, Andrew in Columbus, Indiana, bourbon or scotch? You know, I've had a couple good bourbons lately uh, during, the, uh, during the quarantine here. I've had some good bourbon. I've got some over there. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. So I'd say more of a bourbon guy. I know that's probably very controversial and I will pay for that. Uh, in the comment section. Um, oh, this is a great question by Connor. Signing books, by the way, guys. What am I doing here? Go to premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben. I am signing copies of Don't Burn This Book, which finally came out today, and I'm doing crazy press all day long. Oh, right after we end this live stream, which is soon, right? We got maybe uh, about 10 minutes left. I have a tiny little break. I think I'm gonna pee. And then uh, I'll be on Dana Perino this afternoon, and then I will be on... Uh, Tucker Carlson this evening, and uh, strangely, I, di I didn't get invited by uh, I didn't get invited by Cuomo or Maddow. I don't know. Here I am, guys. If you want to chat, happy to do it. Um, Michael in Middleton, Idaho. What are your current feelings about and future predictions on the state of the UN and the EU? The UN. I mean, think how crazy this is. We're in the midst of this worldwide pandemic. When's the last time the UN did anything? The UN has completely collapsed. I think Trump push the collapse, which is probably good. The UN was a deeply, deeply, especially the Security Council, uh, just a deeply awful corrupt organization that every day they would spend all day long trying to figure out how to sanction Israel, uh, which is an obscenely tiny country the size of New Jersey in the worst neighborhood, uh, instead of doing anything functional. The UN has done nothing related to the pandemic as far as I know. Um, so I sense that the UN is probably collapsing, which is fine. Let's have independent nations decide what alliances they wanna be in best. And if you want more of my thoughts on that, um, and I reference it in the book, you should read uh, The Virtue of Nationalism, which I have right there by Yoram Harzoni, which is, a, which is an excellent book on why strong independent nations are the future, not, not globalism. Uh, if you care about freedom and, and people being able to make choice of living where they want to live. Uh, and the EU, I, I mean, I sense that the EU is probably going to crumble. It's probably in the crumbling process already, right? Brexit happened. And I think people are going to realize after this that you want your government to be able to control your borders. And you don't need people in Brussels to tell you how to live if you live in uh, Manchester. Okay. Carmine in Ajax, Ontario. No question, just wanted to let you know I respect your views and efforts to help improve this world of ours. Thank you very much. Uh, Lisa in Deer Park, Texas. Who painted the artwork behind you in your videos? Just curious, as I think it is beautiful. You're great too. So this is an original by Kaylin Janet. Her website is kaylinrosejanet.com, C-A-Y-L-I-N, rosejanet.com. She did all of our originals. So she did this one. She did the one that sits behind the guest over there. And many of you have seen some of the artwork in my house. She did that incredible five foot by eight foot front of the Millennium Falcon going into hyperspace. And there's prints. You can get prints of this, by the way, over there. I don't get a dime. She did them. This is the original. Um, she put... Uh, she knows how much I love coffee. So some of the texture in there is actually coffee grinds that I use. I think a little bit of Emma's hair is in there. Emma, our, our dog who has since passed as Clyde is rolling around over here. Um, she's a wickedly amazing artist who does huge, huge prints. I'll, I'll take some pictures of more of the stuff that she's done, but uh, kaylinrosejanet.com. Um, Ulysses in Carson, California. I'm planning on writing my first book. Any advice? 
considering my book came out today, I don't know that I can give you any great advice other than write what you believe, write what you believe. That's it, man. I mean, just don't, you know, there are things in this book that are going to piss off everybody. Like I trust, I promise you, look, I, you know, I'm going to piss off some lefties with this, but, but the conservatives are not going to be thrilled with some of this stuff too. The, the section on abortion, the last line of the chapter, now that you all hate me, let's move on. Um, but I wrote what is true and it, and I will stand with that. And I think that that's really the best thing that you could do. It's almost the only thing that you could do. Bobby in Frederick, Maryland, would it be possible for a third party to replace the Democrats today like the Republicans did with the Whigs? It's a really interesting topic. And I, I really should do a, a history show on what happened with the Republicans and the Whigs. Um, but I think something interesting is gonna happen. Look, AOC and Joe Biden should not be in the same party. Joe Biden sh should be somewhere else altogether right now. Um, but that they need to split. The socialists, let Bernie and the socialists have their party and let the old school Democrats or whatever that thing is, I don't even know what it is anymore, let them have that. And then let have more of the liberty-minded people sort of be on the right. And the fact that conservatives and libertarians can be in the same party and fight it out that, you know, uh, sorry, Rand Paul and Trump can be in the same party and be allies despite, you know, Trump is definitely more of a big government guy than Rand Paul, but they can fight it out uh, because they have a basic ideology that's the same. The left has no cohesive ideology anymore other than they all they all kind of dig government. And that that is a problem. So I would love to see them split. They should split there because they're just faking it now and it doesn't make sense. Um, Let's see, uh, Joel in Portugal uh, asks, what books do you recommend reading for a better understanding of our current thought landscape? I mean, I, I'm not just saying this because Shapiro joined me, but uh, his last book, The Right Side of History, I just think is an excellent example. He talks about how so much of our ideas came from Jerusalem and came from Athens. So sort of like a, a biblical understanding of the world and then our logical understanding of the world in Athens, Greece. Um, and I just think it's a wonderful book and also, uh, Glenn's last book, which is totally fun, and I interviewed him, it's going up this week. It's called Arguing with Socialists, and it's not like a traditional you know, book like this. It's, it's filled with cartoons and funny memes and all sorts of stuff, and it's, like, it's just like a nice, easy way to get a lot of information in a kind of fun way. And uh, okay, just a couple more. I'm sorry, guys, I didn't. Oh, let me do a couple shout outs. Uh, Gary turned 28 today, happy birthday. Brian turned 30 today, happy birthday. Um, let's see, oh. And if you are getting your book today and you got one and it's signed or it's not signed, uh, tag at Ruben Report on Instagram with hashtag don't burn this book and we'll reshare things on my story. Oh, oh, and we're doing a book club for the, for the book, for the don't burn this book. So there are 10 chapters in the book and I'm gonna have 10 different guests um, do a 20 minute interview with me discussing the main core of each chapter. Uh, we've taped the first couple of them, so I believe it is next Monday, the first one will go up and Douglas Murray talks to me about chapter one of the book and then we're gonna do put two a week up for five weeks and love to get your th thoughts on it. And then we'll be in the Ruben Report community discussing it. So that's where I'm trying to move all of my real discussion with people because that's where real people are and there's no trolls and bots and endless haters and the rest of it. I'm sorry to say that's just what a lot of the rest of the internet has become. Uh, so you can go to rubenreport.com and sign up there and we've got a, a Apple iOS app and a Android app and the rest of it. And we'll be, we'll be discussing it. And we've just got tons of great people in there. And when a troll does come in, guess what? I boot them. And that's not an infringement on their free speech because they can be in anyone else's local. But my local rubenreport.com is my digital home and I'm for free speech, but I don't invite everybody into my house to tell me I'm an asshole. That's my policy, and I'm sure you have yours. 
Uh, okay, so what else? All right, let me get, try to get to a couple more real quick. I know we're in a rush and I gotta get to, uh, I gotta get to Dana Perino. Oh, real quick, the, the premiumcollectibles.com slash Ruben link will remain up after this. So that's where all, I'm not gonna be signing copies after this except at live events, but God only knows when we're gonna be doing live events. So that's where you will be able to get live, uh, sorry, signed copies of Don't Burn This Book. And uh, I'll do three more real quick. Um, what do you, <laughs> Brad in Forest Hills, Queens, he says, what do you think your SUNY Binghamton political science teachers think of you now? I have no idea, but I will tell you this, I left there as a lefty, so I, something went wrong. But I did have one great professor my senior year who really was pushing free thinking, who I really loved and I don't remember his name. Oh, it's gonna drive me crazy. Um, I don't know, but I, I was invited. I was gonna speak at Binghamton and then it got canceled because of this, so we'll make it happen. Um, uh, Brandon in Staten Island, would you agree that a balanced society would have conservative and classical liberal values? Yes, absolutely. That's what a functioning society should have. We should have a push and pull between more traditional values and more liberal values. And that is what makes a modern society that doesn't wanna burn everything down but wants to honor tradition and know that our grandparents also tried to build something good and it doesn't erase history. You want a push between modernity and the past. That's what liberalism and conservatives, uh, conservatism should be fighting for. And I wish I could do this all day, guys, but I have such a crazy day of interviews. Uh, by the way, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, Gad Sad put an interview with me on his channel. Uh, Michael Malice just put one on his channel. And you, you, I, I love Gad, I love Malice. Malice really pushed me on a bunch of stuff, which was totally fun. Uh, Michael Shermer just put up an interview with me. Um, Okay, uh-oh, the pen, the pen is running dry, it is a sign. Uh, so I'm gonna stop right there. Um, I'll do this last one because I, I have to get to this because I haven't talked about anything sci-fi this whole time. Rebecca in Warner Robins, Georgia asks me, do you think that the sci-fi fantasy genre has value beyond simple entertainment? Absolutely, specifically, do you think that they are able of conveying truths about humanity that other genres can't? Yes, and that's why I love science fiction and every night that we're trying to watch a movie, we always go to science fiction first. Um, if you wanna watch an interesting movie, I think it's on Netflix. It's a, I believe it's Swedish, it's called Aniaria, and it's about a ship that gets lost in space and basically breaks down and the people don't know that they're never gonna get off the ship until a while. And then it takes place over the course of decades of watching what happens to humanity as people have hope, lose hope, thoughts, ideas, oh, it's just great. But of course, Total Recall, 19, what, 1989, the original Schwarzenegger is just perfection, Interstellar, uh, Minority Report, uh, Scanner Darkly, the Star Wars, although that's almost more of a space opera than, than science fiction. I just watched the original Matrix again, blah, 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 blah. Thank you guys. Oh, I didn't sign the, the, uh, the silver one. Give me that pen again. Here's the silver one, the one, the one silver copy of Don't Burn This Book. Someone at premiercollectibles.com slash Ruben is gonna get this. This is literally the only one with the special silver pen. Someone will get it. I'm gonna mix it up in the stack of books right now. Oh, Clyde, you want in on this? Clyde almost got in on this. All right, thank you guys. This was a long time coming to get to today, um, but I, I just, I appreciate your support and uh, it, you guys filled me up with enough of the, the confidence and the love and everything else to put my thoughts out there. And uh, when I stand up for you, I know you guys are standing up for me. This is just the beginning again. I don't know how we always end up just at the beginning again, but here we are. So thank you, have a great day, everybody. 
and uh, I'll see you when I see you. The conversation doesn't end here. Join us at RubenReport.com, where we're diving even deeper into each chapter of Don't Burn This Book, and you can ask me questions directly. Once you access the Ruben Report community, you'll get so much more than access just to me. You'll be joining thousands of others, sharing their ideas, their interests, and posting photos, videos, memes. Plus, you'll get the Ruben Report podcast, ad-free and ad-free video. RubenReport.com, that's RubenReport.com. Thank you.